0: The Braving Business Podcast is brought to you by, well, me. I'm PJ Benoit and have been in the domestic and international logistics and transportation field for over three decades. Are you looking to ship literally anything, direct-to-consumer or business-to-business, small package, pallet and freight, truckload, international air and ocean, warehousing and distribution, and so much more? Let's connect. Go to shipwithpj.com to learn more. That's shipwithpj.com. And now for the show. Well, my man, Mr. Zlatnitsky, how are you, buddy?
1: I am well, Mr. Benoit. I love the way, (laughs) I love your name. I've been, I've been just saying it just for the fun of it, Benoit. (sighs)
0: Mm, Well. Uh, we'll, yeah. i
1: never we'll, understood why it's spelled the way it's spelled but it sounds french. awesome it's french yeah well the french uh-oh, uh-oh. their weird spelling of things <laughs>
0: uh okay thanks hey yeah. so um this is the first are you french actually is it i is yeah. Yeah, yeah are you yeah. huh okay i'm, I'm actually what? i'm chinese okay. i'm ashkenazi jew mm-hmm. i am uh I uh, got a ton of Portuguese in me. I got Vietnamese. I got all kinds of stuff.
1: Like so, Portuguese water dog or just, you know? <laughs> wouldn't know? you like to know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. Would I? That sounds so scary, <laughs> yeah, actually, but you okay. Probably, you probably wouldn't want to know. So, this is yeah. the first podcast. So, this is our kickoff episode for people to understand what Braving Business is all about and to understand who this illustrious host is. Mr. Zlot, you speaking
1: about yourself? Oh, no, you, to me.
0: you, you, come on! I'm I'm the Very Ed kind McMahon. Of I'm the Ed McMahon to this Johnny Carson over here. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did all right, you know. He did all right. He did all right. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I I can do the laugh. <laughs> Boy, is that aging me and us actually so. aging us both, my yeah, friend. I'm sorry, sorry. So um, I figured you know what? On this one, let's introduce people to who you are, why you are doing this con this awesome concept of a podcast and um you know we'll just dig a little deep but that's okay with you
1: works for me let's do
0: it all right so i'm going to introduce you kind sir um my co-host and friend tall Zlatnitsky has led a remarkable life and uh truly is born in israel where you're a television star as a child you came to the us at the age of 12 and for a time you and your parents were undocumented in, uh, immigrants which Uh, nuts. You became your entrepreneurial journey with a spectacularly failed painting franchise, which we want to learn more about when you were a college sophomore. You parlayed that failure into a future or into a career where you've built one after another groundbreaking business. Uh, You were the co-founder and CEO of the mobile parking payment pioneer, iControl Mobile, sold to Ringo, and now known as Park Mobile, which I believe is in Chicago. So, um,
1: it's all over, it's all over the country. I think it's all over the world now.
0: Yeah. Uh, thanks for taking my money. Um, <laughs> you've also co-founded co- co- and was the CEO of eye control data, which is, uh, a financial technology firm, which was an early pioneer of a process called paid it pay on scan to speed up and improve the accuracy of transaction settlements between merchants and their vendors. Uh, it's now backed by Goldman Sachs, which you facilitated back in 2015, and I control now. Today, processes billions of dollars in payments each year for tens of thousands of customers. Um, Tal remains a major shareholder and serves on the board of iControl Data and has also been an investor and board member for more than a dozen other startups, including one which became one of the world's most highly rated travel pillows, Jet Comfy, which I also believe I have one of those. Believe it or not.
1: I hope you do. A lot of people do. (laughs)
0: Uh, Currently... Tal is the senior is a senior principal of global tech consulting firm Infosys, where you are a strategic transformation advisor to fortune for fortune 500 clients. You're also the chairman of the most recent startup, our love company, which is our dot love and the founder and CEO of a still in stealth mode, generative AI startup breeze beyond his professional career. Tal has been involved in causes that, of course, you're passionate about, from immigration to the rights of gays and minorities to tax reform, uh, pretty much the whole gamut. You were selected as a member of President Barack Obama's presidential partners in 2009 and spoke on behalf of the president on business and tax policies, including to the White House press on the West Lawn of the White House. You were on policy and steering, or on the policy and steering committee of presidential campaign for Pete Buttigieg, and sits on the advisory board of the MUMA. School of Business at the University of South Florida, which is based in your hometown of Tampa. You have also spoken at numerous rallies, conferences, and events on the topics of equal pay, uh, higher minimum wage, and tax reform, leadership, entrepreneurship, innovation, and leading with courage and purpose in overcoming adversity. Whew, Tal, my friend, my partner, uh, that's quite the life you've led up to, to now. So I am delighted to interview you. For this podcast.
1: Well, I, I appreciate being here. Uh, this will be my <laughs> one time that I'm going to be on this side of the desk, and then the rest of it,
0: that's you and right. I will
1: be uh, talking to some fascinating and interesting people. we will try right. to not to bore people to death today, and hopefully they'll keep checking us out.
0: No, I mean, look, it was it was a uh, that's a that's a very in depth bio. Uh, normally we dig more out during the conversations with people that we've had, but it's important for our listeners and our our viewers to understand who they're dealing with. Um, you know, you are a badass (laughs) magnet in your (laughs) own right. So I think it's really, really cool that, uh, that we're able to learn a little bit more about you so that, uh, people then understand where you're coming from when you're asking questions. So, um, I'm thrilled to get into this with you, Uh, you know, and actually just right off the bat, this podcast is, has been amazing. We've, you know, this is our first one that we're launching, but you and I have had the opportunity to talk with some really fascinating people over the past few weeks. Um, had a lot of great interviews that we put in the can, which is great. Um, what, and this, but to be, you know, in full transparency, this is your baby. This is your, this is your dream, your idea. You came up with this. I was lucky enough to be someone that you knew that you might want to do this with so i appreciate being on this journey with you what made you want to do this what what started this whole this whole idea
1: so first of all pj i'm uh, so grateful to you for uh, agreeing to be on this journey with me uh the fact that you have been doing this and doing this well and on scale for a long time uh is a source of great comfort to me because I don't know quite what I'm doing when it comes to being a podcast host. Um, I've <laughs> no, been a guest great. on a lot of podcasts, but I've, I've, uh, have, and I may have hosted a couple for uh, uh, Hour. Love, but uh, this is really new. So having you um, along with me on this ride is is uh, quite comforting. Oh. Look, I, well, I'll, I'll give you a chance to um, acknowledge that. Go ahead, oh, go for it.
0: Okay. Ah. Uh, <laughs> no, thank you, man. Thank you. Seriously, this is a lot of fun. So please go ahead.
1: Yeah. Um, look, I I, um, I have had as as you said. I, I feel you know, listening to you, it's 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 hugely humbling um, to have been on the journey I've been on, coming to this country as an undocumented immigrant at the age of twelve, uh, and living through all sorts of experiences uh, that uh, are not unique to me, but are uh, not so pleasant when you're an immigrant and you're coming to a country um, where you don't speak the language and you don't quite fit in. Uh, So fitting in has been, you know, a challenge and it took me sort of a lifetime to get to a place where I'm fully comfortable in my own skin. Um, And part of the journey for me, having selected uh, the entrepreneurial path has been the difficulty that I have felt being vulnerable uh, for much of my career uh, and sharing the true experience of entrepreneurship. Um, And as I've aged and matured and uh, learned more about Uh, myself and others, I discovered that, uh, as it turns out, my, my entrepreneurial journey and its challenges were not unique at all. And, uh, and I I wish I'd had some of the uh, wisdom um, that I've gained, both through talking to others and mentorship um, and experience uh, when I was starting out. And so my goal here um, was to create a podcast that uh, does not glorify business. Uh, but glorifies people and their experience and their humanity and their challenges along the way with the objective of empowering, inspiring and uh, motivating people to, if they choose the entrepreneurial path to do it with confidence, even in the face of challenges and setbacks. Uh, And if they're not entrepreneurs, if they're just leaders or people that care about life, uh, that they get something out of this podcast as well uh, that hopefully uh, inspires them and motivates them to be their best
0: selves. So that's my that's my goal. I, I first of all, I think it's it's awesome, right? It's a fantastic goal. Um, I think that even in the first moments of meeting you some years back, you've always been one that um, struck me as a natural for mentorship, right? You you seem to kind of uh, fit in that role really easily, and I think it I think it's just part of your nature and 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 who you are. And so when you had brought this idea up, um, I knew that it wasn't going to be something about just glorifying business. I did. You're, you're always, you've always been one that has been a lot more, um, deep rooted. Like you, you tend to think things really, you know, well and, and, and holistically. And so, um, I think that approach and that mindset of course is going to make a great podcast series moving forward. So very, very, very cool stuff. With you, sir, when you were, when you were young and, and you were in Israel, you were a television star, but you weren't just a television star. You were a singing television star, which um, you know, I think for a lot of people, I, I've done a lot of acting in my, in my youth and, and uh, some into my adulthood, but um, acting is one thing. Singing is another. That, that takes a, a different level of putting yourself out there so to speak. And then to be popular at it. Um, I mean that of course you must've, you you must've faced a lot of butterflies. You must've faced a lot of self doubt, but you persevered through that. Um, you know, taking that and coming, becoming an immigrant in the U S and, and becoming an entrepreneur and, and this whole, uh, this painting business we're going to ask about here in a second, like how do those experiences, like what, what drives you to have that passion to continuously persist in the face of adversity?
1: Hmm. So first, thank you. It's a great question. Um, I'll start by admitting that I was way too young to fully appreciate um, the magnitude of, you know, being on national television at the age of seven and eight and again at 10 and 11 um, and singing um, with, you know, men and women that were for the tiny state of israel huge superstars um i didn't appreciate it um i don't think i you know i don't think i viewed it back then i like you know the only i i do remember some things about the experiences obviously i have videos but what i mainly remember is the heat of the la- of the lights on my face <laughs> singing on stage sure. uh in in different arenas um and the, the sound of the crowd clapping um those those two memories have lingered um you know i'd actually say that um Having had that strange experience, and I was also on Sesame Street for several years in Israel. Um, having had that
0: <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> that
1: experience of of being, you know, uh, very successful very early, one you could argue I had my fifteen minutes of fame before I, before I, I hit puberty. <laughs> before I had um, a watch. <laughs> yeah, um, it has it has a lot of uh, you know. It taught me a lot, uh, but in hindsight, right? So. I came to the U.S. naturally. I was complete unknown. I didn't speak the language. I also happened to get here at the age where you know a lot of boys uh, don't look so cute, and I was no exception. Uh, I went from being a pretty cute little boy to being a not so cute preteen the gang- and the then gangly teen. teen. Yeah, uh, I wish I was gangly. I was very short. I just had a lot of pimples. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it was it was a huge it was a hugely humbling experience uh, to go from where I was to where I found myself. Um, and it taught me a lot. Um, again, at the time, I think I mostly, as most of us in moments of great pain, uh, and challenge, uh, felt, uh, some combination of sorry for myself and overwhelmed, uh, with the experience, but in hindsight, um, it has caused me to be, I think a more empathetic person, uh, much more interested in people, uh, and their experiences and their humanity. Um, because I knew exactly what it felt like when people, uh, didn't care about mine or didn't treat me as if I mattered. Um, so it taught me a lot about caring about human beings and having, having connection, uh, which is something that I've more or less carried with me most of my life. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm better at it now, uh, in lots of ways, but it's always been something that, um, something that I gravitated towards, uh, connection and, and people. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, I think ultimately, um, my experiences have all come together into who I am today, good, bad, and ugly. Um, and there, there was plenty of ugly along the way. And I just don't, don't just mean me as a teenager that that's, that's pretty hideous, but, but beyond, right. Uh, Including, including my first experience in the business world. So there, there were, there were many, many moments, uh, that were not nearly as, Uh, fantastic as, as the, uh, the bio you read, uh, make it seem.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, sure. Right. When hindsight, uh, uh, tends to give us, um, a, a buffer between the pain of the moment and our future selves, right? Like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of ugly that happens and, and bios are great. And, and, um, I think at the end of the day, it's who you are, And how you come across and how you treat people, which is the ultimate result and uh, of, of everything you've gone through. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned this, this early on entrepreneurship. So like your, your first business was this painting at, uh, when you were in college painting business.
1: That's right. Yeah. So first business of my own. Yeah.
0: All right. So you call this spectacularly failed, please.
1: Well, I'm, I I think I'm underselling it. (laughs) it was worse than that. Um, so, you know, look, I, I was, a, I was a uh, I was finishing up my, my school year. I was looking for something to do. Uh, I needed to make money so that I could stay on campus. I, I was paying for myself for the most part. My parents helped me some, but you know, they, they were working class and, and, and didn't have a lot of means. Um, and, uh, I responded to an ad in, in the campus paper for, uh, for a painting franchisee, uh, college pro painters, um, I was selected. I, I uh, went to King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, for a few months every weekend to learn how to do estimates and how to uh, how to how to do bids and and how to paint and how to hire painters and how to run jobs. And a few months before the you know maybe I think a couple months before the summer started, I was I started going out there and you know driving my territory and looking for our, for homes that needed exterior painting. We were an exterior painting uh, mm. company. And uh, and also there was some advertising on the radio and things like that. Bottom line was I started doing estimates and I was doing extremely well. I I, uh, I was you know I think there were something like twenty four hundred franchisees around the country and I was uh, I was number one in the country in closing uh, at over eighty percent, which was about five x. I mean the the overall average is around twenty percent, and the reason was that I at that early point right before the summer started, before I actually saw the quality of the work that my team produced. Um, I, I had a certain vision for how well we would do. I would stand outside people's homes and I really felt that we would do an incredible job and every caulk line would be perfect and the scraping would be perfect and every brush stroke would be perfect. And I sold that. I sold that kind of that kind of vision to the people that were buying jobs and I did very well mm. uh, And then I had to hire painters and the summer started and, and they sucked. Uh, we sucked. They didn't care, right? Our painter, my painters were college kids. they were getting drunk every night, showing up, hung over the next day. They were working slowly. They, there was not a line that was straight. There was not a caulk line that didn't need to be redone. Uh, the scraping was almost always half ass And I started feeling enormous shame about the quality of the work. And eventually, at some point, uh, I fired everyone. Um, you know, I was every job was running over because I kept sending them back to keep working. And at the time, no one told me that I shouldn't pay them if they screwed mm-hmm. up the work. I, I kept paying them and people, you know, at that point, I made it, I created an incentive for them not to finish on time because they're paying overtime, being paid overtime by me to, to, to finish late, right? So at some point in the summer, uh, I had about a dozen jobs left, by the way, by that point, I couldn't sell at all. I had, couldn't close an estimate to save my life. I just, I didn't believe anymore. Um, I, I had, you know, a dozen jobs or so left and I fired everyone and my, my plan was I'm, I'm just going to finish myself. I'll, I'll finish. I'll paint all these homes and at least I'll do it right. And I'll feel a, a pride of doing it well. Um, and there was an elderly lady who hired me to paint her carport, uh, just the ceiling. It was a nothing job. And, uh, and she also asked me to power wash her back deck, and uh, I power washing was not really part of my portfolio. But she was a nice little lady, and she asked me to do it, and so I said I would. I rented a power washer, and I, you know, I came to her house. It was late, you know, my days were starting at six a.m. ending at you know eight eight thirty, basically right when it got dark. I got there around six six thirty, thinking, you know, what painting the painting the carport ceiling would take me thirty minutes. It did, and then I'll power wash her down and get out of there. And um, I start power washing her deck. And you know what? I remember vividly that I was really impressed by how much grime was coming out of the deck. It was really looking good. And then at some point the deck, uh, some point the power wash started sputtering and I realized it was running low on fuel. Now it was a two, it was it, her home was uh, three stories. And so there was a basement and the deck started in the basement and kind of went up to the second story. So it was a two story uh, deck. I went underneath where I put the power washer. I had snaked the, the power washer cord through. I went down to refill the fuel. And I refilled the fuel, but I forgot to turn off the power washer and I spilled some and the power washer blew up. Mm. Uh, I mean, I'm talking like, you know, Roadrunner type blow up, right? Blowing me 30 feet in the air um, in a second to the back of her yard where I hit her fence full force. Um, And as I get up and literally I was seeing stars like in the cartoons, I realized there's a 25 foot bonfire through this woman's deck. I mean, I'm literally burning down her house, okay? <laughs> so I'm running around to the front. I'm frantic, you know? Um, and as I get to the front, uh, she uh, she opens the door. I'm ringing the doorbell like crazy. She sees me and she just staggers back uh, as if she's seen a ghost. And what I hadn't realized is how badly I had been burned. I suffered severe burns in my arms, my legs, my face. And I had to be helicoptered to the hospital from a soccer field near her home. Holy- um, and so, yes, quite literally, I blew up. Um, and and to add insult to injury, the entire summer, I was touting uh, College Pro Painter's million-dollar liability policy. And I would literally say to people, I could burn down your house, and you'd, we'd build your new house. And as it turns out, um, because I was power washing and not painting, and that, w- that was not covered by the policy, and so they wouldn't actually replace this woman's deck. And so my only option was to sell my car um, and rebuild her deck, which is what I did. And so I didn't end up going back to uh, live on campus. I never lived on campus again. Actually, after that, I, I moved back home. Um, but I, I did at least rebuild this woman's, this poor woman's deck. <laughs> so after that experience, I got to tell you, I, I thought I would never, ever, ever do anything entrepreneurial again. I, I mean, I was severely depressed for months and, you know, really struggled with everything that had happened. Plus I kept having flashbacks of a power washer blowing up in my face. <laughs> um, but you know what? Um, it's an experience. I tell the story now people tend to find it amusing and, uh, and so do I frankly, and it kind of shows that even the hardest moments in our lives, the ones that seem so searing, like at that moment you just can't imagine that you'll ever be able to look back at something and say, you know what, <laughs> at least it's a story and here I am. I look back at that story now and I, I no longer feel the pain of it, I no longer feel the shame of it. To me, it's now just a part of my history, just something that you know is uh, a part of the amalgam of things that have made me who I am.
0: Sure, well, first of all, I'm sorry that you got hurt. That, that blows. Um... I'm glad Literally. that you're I'm glad that you're <laughs> Yeah. Glad that you're back yeah. to to being uh, you know, feeling normal and 100% and all that, which is wonderful. Um kudos to you for actually having um, you know, the respect of her as a customer to do whatever you could to make it right, right? Even though it's easy for the insurance company to say, "Oh, you know, screw you, you were power washing, you weren't painting, we're not covering anything." Um good on you for for full, you know, following through you, are a college kid. I don't know. I don't know if every college kid would have sold their car just to, you know, fix her deck. So that was very kind of you. So it shows a lot about your character. What, uh, you know, going through that, like a first entrepreneurial journey, uh, <laughs> I don't, I can't think of, of a much worse foundation to start from. Um, so what did you do mentally? Like what, what work did you do on yourself to make that shift to where you were okay doing a risk like that again?
1: You know, to be honest with you, I, I, I wish I had some, you know, some, um, thoughtful answer to that. Uh, the truth is I was, I was very young and, uh, I, I had no intention of getting into business again. I, I ended up, uh, being pulled into a new family business that my brothers and father, co-founded and brought me in as a co-founder of uh, they had had they both had newspaper distribution businesses uh, separately from each other. Um, I was working for both I was delivering papers for both of them uh, and they they ended up getting this great opportunity uh, to to take on the circulation of a very large uh, regional newspaper um and the family needed to get on board because the opportunity was too big to pass up on and so I was I was asked to drop out of school. And come join the family business. I was finishing my junior year, and it took me years, by the way, to go back and finish my degree. I did ultimately finish my degree at the University of Maryland, that. but I, I took a break. Um, and I joined this this newspaper distribution business, which at the time, you know, seemed like a stepping stone to something else. Like we, as a family, we had talked about, you know, buying real estate and/or gas stations. That was the big dream, or right? the immigrant dream. We're going to own gas stations. Um, but yeah, this newspaper business started. I I came into it you know bottom of the totem pole i was making the least i was i had the least responsibilities i was fortunate to have you know a uh, father and two brothers that were uh um very loving and um you know one my oldest brother is uh has got the work ethic of uh you know of of 10 people uh and and my my other brother is uh, extremely uh he's just enterprising and uh, was very good him he's an accountant and, and and computer scientist so he was able to build systems and 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 I ended up initially, you know, kind of just filling the gaps, doing whatever I could. And, uh, you know, over the next, this business ended up becoming a very large business over the next 20 years and ended up, uh, operating in 33 States. We had oh. thousands of associates, tens of thousands of customers, uh, revenues and, uh, substantial revenues, tens of millions. Um, and, uh, I eventually became, uh, became the CEO and, um, you know, I, I couldn't tell you how that journey happened. It just did. You know, I, I, I you know, I, it turned out that, you know, what I had a skill, uh, selling, uh, particularly when I believed in things, I was fortunate to have brothers who could execute. And so I believed in them. And so I was selling them and their abilities and, and the team we ended up building. Um, and you know, as they say, the rest is history, I mean, we built those businesses, learned a lot along the way, made tons of mistakes. Sure. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, those businesses, uh, were large enough to, to sell, uh, by the time we sold them, uh, we we had actually split the business into two. We had a newspaper distribution business, which was one of the largest in the country. We had a magazine, book, and uh, licensed merchandise and DVDs business that was uh, also very large. We sold that business to Hudson News. We sold the newspaper business to to our partners NNA and and moved on to other bigger and better things. So you know the experience. I would say I, I wish I could tell you how I persevered or I just survived and you know I I, I moved on and. Uh, you know, carried on with some degree of enthusiasm and um, energy and things worked out. But trust me, there are plenty of setbacks along the way. I don't want to make it seem like anything other than what it was, which was a very bumpy ride.
0: Sure. Well, is that is that bumpy ride because of it being a family business?
1: Oh, that was a part. Yeah. I mean, there's no question that there was, uh, you know, there was conflict among us. And, uh, you know, ultimately, my oldest brother ended up leaving and starting his own very successful business. And he's doing exceptionally well now. I'm very proud of him and what he's accomplished uh hanan my middle brother and i we we stayed ran the business together uh and then founded eye control together and you know carried on until until i ended up leaving eye control in 2021 when i resigned as ceo i mean hanan was still there um my father uh you know my father was there and and uh you know was involved in the businesses and um and he ended up retiring um so it, there was absolute challenges look if the, the biggest challenge of a family businesses is, is uh and is the fact that people allow themselves to offend their family members in ways they probably wouldn't offend people who aren't family members. So we were, you know, back in those days, we were rude to each other. We would say terrible things to each other. We would be mean to each other. We would raise our voices at each other in ways that, you know, generally speaking, we didn't do with other people. And, uh, and I, I look back at that and, uh, again, it made me who I am. I don't look, I don't really have a bunch of regrets because I don't know that regret is a very useful emotion, but I can tell you that I, you know, I have, learned so much about life since that point. And, um, and I, I believe that the way we handled ourselves back then probably held us back. You know, we still ended up succeeding, but we probably succeeded um, less than we may have if we had had healthier ways of communicating with each other and more respect for each other. Uh, and we probably would have burned ourselves and some other people uh, less along the way, right? we, we just didn't have the right mindset. We didn't have the right appreciation for what matters in life when we were young and very ambitious. And and I think that's true for a lot of entrepreneurs. Again, I don't know if the, you know, life could have turned out very differently. Maybe if we had had the mindset that I have now, which is more about collaboration and love, uh, the business would have failed. Maybe the business needed what it had at the time. I don't know. And that's why I don't really think about it with too much regret. I do think ultimately that, you know, um, the way we did it was, uh, you know, at least if nothing else, it causes pain, caused pain cause some harm, cause some damage to our relationship with one another. um, And that's regrettable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's your, your experience is not unique in that, right? Like you hear about that a lot with family, family uh, businesses. I uh, currently own a franchise with my wife and luckily we are able to work really well together because we come a, she's family that I chose, right? So I don't have the years of growing up and, Hey, my brother did this to my, my favorite collection of whatever, right? I I don't have a lot of that back history. And, um, and we also tend to always show gratitude towards each other on pretty much everything. So it makes it a little bit easier. So that having that mindset of, of, um, making sure that your relationship isn't entwined with the business, I think helps out a lot, uh, for sure. Um, you know, you, so you mentioned Hanan and, and working with, um, eye control and, and everything that you built there and and stepping back and all that, but you've also been like with, you know, obviously the park mobile and, and the, um, the jet pillow and like what motivates you to delve into like all these super disparate kind of businesses. Um, and like love where, where we met, um, I mean, not romantically, but we met.
1: Um, (laughs) Like our love, like let's not tell people the truth.
0: (laughs) But like, how how do you you know your 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 fingers are across many different spectrums? What's what drives that?
1: Well, look for starters. I actually give a lot of credit to uh, the environment I was in. My brother uh, Hanan is a very curious guy, and uh, the mobile parking business was actually a business he brought back from a trip to Israel. I believe maybe Europe. I forget. Uh, he had seen it over there. He came back and said we could do it. Um, you know, we had just started iControl Data at the same time. We started the two companies essentially around the same time. Yeah. Um, we'd sold uh, our distribution business to Hudson News, and 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 when we did, we we thought we had a really good idea for how to um, build technology to streamline the way folks like us in the wholesale distribution business and retailers did business with each other. And so we we innovated, we created a technology, started off uh, pretty quickly, and took off. And concurrently, we started this mobile parking business because, you know, initially our thinking was we're going to be a financial technology company, uh, and so it seemed like it fit. Uh, but we did recruit a board of directors that was made up of almost entirely of, of uh, the retail world. We had some significant uh, uh, CEOs and presidents of uh, or retired presidents of of major grocery chains and drugstore chains and, and and manufacturers, and naturally they gravitated toward that business. And so, you know, after a couple of years of running the two businesses. Both of them working well. We launched a couple of cities with, uh, with what was then iControl Mobile. Um, and uh, we reached a point where the board felt like we should concentrate on one business because both were doing well. Uh, and we ended up making the decision, um, you know, and again, no regrets. It was what it was. We made the decision to sell the parking business, the, the par- parking payment business. Uh Ringo at the time, Ringo still the name they operate in the UK. Now it's part uh now it's Park Mobile, but uh Ringo uh made the the winning bid and we sold the business to them. Um it was a good exit, quick, and um, you know, we didn't get crazy rich, but it was a nice exit. I control data, you know, uh kind of took a life of its own and ended up uh, becoming a, a pretty substantial enterprise over the next uh decade or so. And so again, no regrets. Um and there as well. I mean, I, I did have the original idea for iControl data. It was my idea to, to build that technology, but my brother built the technology along with a very talented team of uh, people around him, including my cousin, my first cousin, Gilad Karen, who was our CTO and is this, to this day the CTO of iControl, um, a, a super talented guy. So we, we had incredible people and, um, you know, we had incredible people and good fortune, you know? Those then, things oftentimes go hand in hand, I think.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I was going to ask about, like, how do you do two businesses at once? Like, wouldn't you be super stretched thin?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't easy. Uh, especially given I was, uh, you know, I was, um, I had, you know, I, I, I was married young. I had two daughters and then I was a single dad, uh, then remarried. And, and, uh, my, my second wife was, was busy herself. She was a a federal attorney and had a a busy career. Um, how you do it? I got to tell you, PJ, there's something about being young that, uh, you know, that gives you, some sort of superpowers that you don't have when you're our age right i mean i I honestly can't answer that question anymore i i don't don't know how i did it i mean i still i'm still doing a lot but it's nowhere near what i was doing then and uh it's it's really not clear to me how i did it um i'm sure it wasn't the most healthy way to be um a lot of my life at the time was about my career and i you know i have regrets about um how present i was for my kids my kids have been incredibly kind and I have an incredible relationship with all of them. They're all adults now. Um, but, you know, they've told me I was, I was very present. In fact, maybe too much, <laughs> but I actually recall not being that present. And and even when I was present, I oftentimes was distracted. Right. So, so it's kind of the entrepreneurial story. You, you do too much. Uh, you make sacrifices. Oftentimes the sacrifices you make are not ones you fully appreciate until later on in life. Yep. Um, so and that was my
0: story. So true. Yeah. Cause you know, you say, you don't know how you did it. Well, you did, you just did it because it had to be done, right? Like that was a situation you're in when you're young, you, you have the energy and you have less, um, less things holding you back, i.e. experience and knowledge. (laughs) So you don't overthink stuff. You just, you just gotta, you just kind of push through it. Um, that's, that's incredible. Really? Actually. Um, you know, you have been one of the things that I've enjoyed so much about this podcast and about working with you on um you know, through all these discussions we've had with truly remarkable people. You've always been very transparent about failure, about being humble, about trying to bring love, so to speak, into the into the workplace, right? Not, you know, love in regards to just being open and vulnerable and humble and wanting to help out your, your, your fellow people. Right. Um, can you, and, and you've, you've also mentioned before about how there's a need to reframe when there's a setback, right? Cause there are obviously there are setbacks that we all have had. Um, what do you, in your words, what does reframing really mean? And, and like, how does that, um, in your personal experience, how has reframing helped you?
1: Well, I, 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 again, uh, the credit doesn't come, the credit is not mine. Um, you know, the, the, the concept of, uh, of a reframe, uh, you know, goes to a couple of people in my life. Uh, one of them was my therapist. Um, and, uh, and the reason that this came up was because I had suffered a massive setback, uh, in 2020 with eye control, um, that cost me and the company a ton of money. Um, and, um, and I was really reeling from that and, um, you know, my initial reaction was, uh, to feel like a victim and, um, my story was a story of victimhood and, um, you know, my therapist listened to me, tell my story. Um, and he said, okay, well, you know what, Tal that's the truth. I'm not saying anything you said isn't true, but I also believe that's not the only truth i think there's more that you could you could choose to see in what took place and if you frame it where you are the hero of the story and not the victim you might have a different perspective Um, and he challenged me to tell the story again but this time from a different perspective essentially reframe the story and so you know i went from well uh i mean the truth is i lost tens of millions of dollars Um, and not just for myself, but for a lot of people. Uh, and I felt very guilty about that. I, you know, it wasn't my fault per se. We lost the lawsuit. Um, but I was the CEO It was on my watch. Right. And, and I cost a lot of, a lot of people I cared about a lot, um, a lot of money, uh, or at least I felt that way. And, um, the reframe of that story was that, you know what? I wasn't alone. There was a board of directors, uh, including Goldman Sachs and other very talented people that were part of the process of selecting the law firm that represented us. And, and, um, uh, you know, there was, there was an opportunity to settle the case, which, which we didn't accept, uh, again, it wasn't a solo decision. Um, and, and beyond that, I, I took pride in how I handled myself once, once, once bad things happened. Um, I had, I had, in some respects I had no choice, right? The business, uh, it, it happened to, uh, it happened that we lost the lawsuit immediately, the week before the country shut down due to COVID, oh. that created some difficult realities when it comes to funding. Um, we had an acquisition that was scheduled to close and that uh, that did not happen, of course. Uh, and finding finding ways to to, to do the right things um, was challenging. Uh, and my options were. Um, you know, I was obviously represented at that point, getting a lot of advice from lawyers, including someone that was representing me because as a CEO, I potentially faced lawsuits myself. Um, and, um, you know, the advice I was given is, you know, you've got to do what you got to do to save the business. Uh, anything that you could do to prevent bankruptcy, you need to do, even if it means, you know, total ruination of your own value, value in the business, whatever you've built uh, might need to to be sacrificed. Um, and, you know... I, Ultimately, as as I shifted my thinking and looked looked at the story differently, I stopped seeing villains. I started realizing that actually everyone acted in good faith. Um, everyone did the very best they could in a difficult situation, um, and the outcome was the business was saved, jobs were saved. Um, you know, I, I did at the time that we lost the lawsuit uh, have to furlough a good number of people and cut pay, including myself. Um, and I remember being extraordinarily transparent about it. Um, you know, I'd called a company call. Uh, we had staff all over the country, and I and, and overseas, and I told everyone the truth. I said, you know, I really cannot predict what's going to happen. I don't know if we're going to fail. We may. Customers may choose to leave us. We're a payment company that you know um, is facing financial difficulty, and we did lose some customers. Although the business is doing well, the business is thriving, and I'm very proud of of the team that's there now and leading it every day, including the CEO, my good friend Matt Gutermuth. Um, but you know, ultimately. Um, I had to face the music, something happened and it was bad. Um, and the reframe was accepting that what happened, happened. Um, it was what needed to happen. It was the trajectory of my life. And, um, what I could do is, uh, cry myself a river (laughs) or learn how to, uh, get up, brush myself off and do something, do something positive with my life. Right. So that was the choice I ultimately made. It wasn't easy. Um, you know, I, I could tell you there were many, many, many dark moments. I was very depressed It in many ways was similar to, to the blow up. Um, you know, that was, that took place 25 years earlier. Um, but you know, ultimately I chose to get up and carry on. And, um, I realized at some point that there was no shame in, in having had setbacks because I'm not alone. Um, I received a lot of love and support from a lot of people, including people who, who lost money, um, and didn't blame me for it. And they felt that my blaming myself for it was ridiculous. Sure. Um, and that was very kind of them, quite frankly, because you know what, they could have definitely taken a different, different perspective on that. So ultimately, you know, I think the reframe is you choose the story you tell and, um, you can be the victim or you could be the hero. And you know what? It's a lot more fun to be the hero. And so that's that's my
0: answer. <laughs> you know, that, I mean, that's, first of all, thank you for sharing. That's fascinating. Um, I I have actually been known to say quite often uh, everyone's the hero of their own story, right?
1: They uh, can be. They can be. They have be. to and, choose and, to be.
0: Right. And so it, it, it's more of a general statement. But when you're talking about the need for reframing, through adversity when something bad happens i've i've owned companies in the past i had one that did spectacularly well and then died almost overnight and so that was to be so uniquely tied to the company where i was doing everything and um spent so many years building it up and then to have it through no fault of my own you know th- i had nothing to do with it on why it failed, but for it to crash and then that that sense of self gets dragged down with it, right? And it's really hard to you know I went to my own therapist and and talked about it and tried to figure it out and and um, I think you, I think your therapist was a little more helpful. Mine mine was good, you know, but you know she'd be like, oh well, aren't you proud about this and aren't you proud about that? And I'd be like, no, because I failed, right? And at the end of the day if there's, is it pass or fail? It's, it failed. Right. And so it was a very hard thing for me to swallow and for me to deal with. And then I, I was, you know, I, I resigned myself to being, all right, I'm just going to go back into the corporate world and I'm going to, I'm going to do what I've done for, you know, a good part of my career. I've, I've always been extremely successful at it. I'll just do that. And it's all great, but, um, I think the reframing would have helped a lot you know i'm i think i've done that slowly (laughs) unconsciously maybe over the past it's been almost 18 years now but um but to to have that in your toolkit i think is very important as someone who wants to be an entrepreneur because adversity is coming it's not it's not adversity is there i mean
1: adversity is you know is always at the at the door's edge and um yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a, a great tool. There have been others, you know, and, and and again, as I look back, the reframe is getting easier actually because I I see myself, and it's been, you know, it's going on uh, three years. Um, I've I've reinvented myself in some ways and um, professionally, but maybe most importantly, personally, um, I've I've modified uh, and improved. How I approach myself and life. I've learned the importance of being very uh gentle with myself first and foremost, uh, and how that manifests in my relationships with others. Um, I learned a lot about um, you know, about dealing with trauma and the fact that if you don't fully process your trauma, it's going to resurface in different ways and oftentimes ways that are not going to be the ways you want to show up. Um, and um, you know, and I, I've come to appreciate how important awareness is, self-awareness, um, and um, and I'm, I, the work that I do, and I do it every day uh, to stay mindful and aware um, is work I'm very proud of. And I think that, you know, um, who knows uh, what my life would have been like had I kept, you know, down the path I was on. I, I think I'm healthier and happier and better adjusted. Um, that's not to say there aren't difficult days. they There are. Um lately in some respects more than others, but all in all, um, I look at my life I look at, um, you know, the last several years and I feel tremendous joy. And I think that that's, that's the reframe right there. Right. I mean, cause it's hard to feel joy when, you know, your net worth has gone down. There lots of zeros are gone off your, uh, off your net worth. Um, but you know, I've, I've stopped valuing myself based on that. I've, I've started right. valuing myself based on my relationships and based on how I show up in the world, based on how, I have to make people feel. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. There's a, there's an old, let me ask you a question. Do you have a, do you have a personal, um, do you have a personal motto or, or a favorite quote? I have
1: lots. Um, <laughs> I actually have something that's hung over my desk. It says wisdom is oftentimes acquired when we stumble, not when we succeed. Our defeats mm-hmm. leave us wiser than our triumphs. By faith we live, by love we serve, by patience we understand, by trials we gain wisdom, by sharing we give joy keep going keep keeps keep caring and always trust god and that i would say is pretty much the sum of how i feel
0: that's uh that's pretty remarkable that was awesome uh shut me up that was awesome <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say bang um, should i drop the mic i it's too expensive <laughs> the mic that i got is too expensive don't so nice drop it, don't but, it.
0: But, um i was going to say that uh my personal motto or my my favorite motto is, and, and there's many different ways to say this, or it's been said many different ways, but the one that I know is from the Maasai, uh, the tribe out of Africa, which is you are what you do when it counts, right? You got to show up when it counts and, uh, everything else. Don't worry about being measured by that, you know? And I think that it's one of the statements that you just made about not being valued by zeros, right? That's not your value. Your your children don't look at you with a price tag. Your friends don't look at you with a price tag. You're, the people that you love, and more importantly, the people that love you, don't look at you with a price tag. It's it's who you are, how you present, how you show up, and, and what effect you have on their lives through honesty and openness and caring and love. That's what really matters.
1: And I think so, that's true. Maybe with two exceptions. I think my financial planner probably feels a little worse about <laughs> me losing zeros. True. Um, and, um, yeah, possibly my accountant as well, but yeah, uh, other than those two, I I would agree.
0: And me too. Well, actually, cause I was going to ask you if I could borrow some money after this, but anyway, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Um, look, some of the, some of the knowledge you just dropped is, is awesome. I'm going to, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of, uh, close out with this one. So, you know, we've talked about the reframing. We've talked about being mindful that uh, you mentioned that we, we talked about the love for oneself, right? Uh, being kind to your, to yourself and speaking well to yourself. Um, how do you integrate those principles into your leadership style or or the strategies you have for business? And and with this podcast, what is one piece of advice that you would give that you would like uh, a burgeoning entrepreneur or someone who's thinking about you know, dipping their toe into this pond. What would you like for them to walk away uh from this podcast with?
1: Yeah, thank you. Great question. Um so I mean I think for starters, my leadership style has evolved dramatically, right? We've talked to some guests and um and we we generally share this commonality, which is in our earlier uh years professionally, we were, you know, tyrants. I was certainly a tyrant and I allowed myself to offend liberally if i felt someone let me down um you know when i was young I'd allow myself to 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 disrespect them and i look back at that with you know um with regret i think that you know i i I did not um well again i i don't want to spend too much time on regret because it's you know as i said it's not the most useful emotion but it does motivate me today and every day uh to try to be the best version of myself that i can be and so you know i have the privilege right now uh, of working, you know, uh, as a senior principal at Infosys, which is a, a giant global uh, tech consulting firm, and a great company, uh, and they've put me in charge of a of a great contract, managing uh, uh, a big rollout for for Fortune five hundred company. and In this project, I had the opportunity to work with some terrific colleagues at Infosys from 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 India and from Mexico. Uh, a client that's uh, global and has uh just absolutely fabulous people uh here in the United States in Canada in Mexico and elsewhere um and uh and vendors uh that are um that are main vendors main companies based in Germany and uh the, the colleagues that we're dealing with are in Canada mainly and in this project I've felt um most at peace uh because um even when things are difficult and you know there's no Big project that doesn't have tough moments. uh, I felt that I was uh, behaving in a way that uh, I'm proud of. And, you know, this has evolved. I would say that, you know, uh, in the early days, uh, a couple of years back, I still allowed myself to offend less so than before. Um, Now I don't. Now I really take pride in, you know, uh, being respectful, uh, recognizing that people are, uh, well, to state the obvious, they're human. Uh, they have a life, they have families, they have other responsibilities. Uh, everyone generally speaking, tries their best within their means. Um, and as a leader, um, my role is not to beat people up, not to win at all costs. Meaning, you know, if I, uh, cause a lot of hardship and heartache to people along the way, then, you know, the ends justify the means. I don't believe that the ends justify the means. I think you need to find a way to balance the end and the means. And, uh, so my leadership style today is about championing. It's about mentoring. It's about helping people grow. Uh, if 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 at the end of this project and any other project I'm ever involved in, people look back and they say, you know what I learned from Tal. I learned to be kind. I learned to be humble. I learned to be respectful. Um, and yes, we also succeeded in pulling off, you know, a nice feat of uh, technological advancement. uh then that would be then i would be uh much more proud than if it was just the latter and not the former yeah um in terms of in terms of what i would love for people to to walk away from this episode and and others um you know it 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 would be it it would be the following i think that first um you know you've talked and you've mentioned and guess because you've heard me say it uh that i think it's really important that we are kind and gentle with ourselves Um, this is something I'm working on every day and I'm, I'm getting better at it every day. Um, you know, we are generally speaking, not just our worst critics. We're also the rudest to ourselves. It's one thing to be a critic. It's another to be a jerk. Oh, I'm an asshole. And we're of often really, yeah, well, a lot of people are assholes to themselves. Right. And, uh, I, I was no exception. I was very tough on myself, particularly when, you know, things that, uh, decisions I made or, um, uh, things that, uh, I led did not pan out. I oftentimes was in, infuriated with myself and beat myself up. And, you know, I've learned that you just can't do that. If you want to, if you want to live a, uh, you know, if you want to live a, a life of purpose, uh, and you want to be able to impact people, uh, you need to first uh, respect yourself and hold yourself in high regard, and recognize that your humanity means that you may have screwed something up. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you deserve scorn. What you deserve is to be kind to yourself, and that's what I try to do. Right. So my lesson, if I could convey anything to people that are. Uh, listening or watching that I think hopefully will impact their lives, They start by being very gentle with yourself. And the harder you work, the more entrepreneurial you are, the more opportunities you're going to have to beat yourself up. And let me promise you something. Let me promise you something. Because I've done it. I did it for years. I did it for decades. It will be the moment that you stop. The moment that you stop doing that, that's going to be your moment of triumph. Mm-hmm. Until that moment, you're going to be struggling in ways that you don't fully appreciate. Because... You're not able to appreciate it. It's when you stop this merry-go-round of self-abuse and abuse of others that you really find peace. And, uh, you know, success and wealth are awesome, but peace is what it's all about. Yeah. So that would be, uh, that's what I hope people walk away from. That's awesome.
0: That's awesome. Tal, you are off the hot seat, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. No, this is just to be this, off it. Yeah, well no, no. This is a great journey. Um it's a lot of fun. Like I said, we've we've interviewed some fantastic people and we got more on the docket, so that's I'm looking forward to delving into all this with you. Thank you for sharing your your insight and your thoughts and and your humanity and and who you are because I think it's important for people to understand where the questions are coming from, where the where the intent is. And um You know, what we're trying to achieve with this little podcast in the world. So thank you. And uh looking forward to, you know, much uh many more episodes of just awesomeness. Uh
1: me as well. I think it's gonna be uh it's gonna be fun and even more importantly, I think it's gonna have an impact. So yeah. Um it's gonna be worthwhile because people's lives will change and that is that motivates me, that gets me out of bed in the morning.
0: Absolutely, brother. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I'll see you in the next episode.
1: (laughs) Sounds great. Thank you.
0: And that's a wrap, folks. Thank you for being a part of the Braving Business Podcast listening audience. Be on the lookout for our weekly interviews with fascinating leaders in business and gain insight into their mindset of how they took to braving business in their own lives and careers. Check us out on YouTube, LinkedIn, and all of your favorite streaming services. Thank you again. And we'll see you next time on the Braving Business Podcast.